Yo. Yo, Ravi, what's good? All right, we got this going, man. <laughs> yeah, that takes so long. Yeah, it's all right. How you doing, man? Is your first live? What's that? First time on live? First time on live, first time on podcast. Nice. First nice. Time for a lot of things. Um, yeah, man. This is um, not switching on to my thing. Cool. You got it. You got a stand? Yeah, give me. No, I didn't get a stand. Give me one second. Cool. What's up, guys? Cool, man. Yeah. So looking forward to this. I mean, we've been trying to get you on the podcast for a while, but you're someone who works remotely all the time. Uh, you're traveling around. So yeah, I thought this would, be, this would be a wicked way to finally get you on because uh, now we don't have to meet in person. Yeah, I know. It's perfect, eh? I actually find that so much like right now I'm connecting with people that I would have never connected with before because uh, we don't have like the constraints of meeting in person. Everyone can just, you know, meet online. We can have these quick chats online. It's so much more efficient. Of course, you lose that kind of intimacy uh, with the calls that, that are happening now, but a lot more conversations are happening. That's what I find. Yeah, no, for sure. And it's one of the things, like, it's cool seeing people discover, you know, working from home, working remotely, virtually, who's doing it for the first time. And they're realizing, you know, it's kind of cool, right? Like, you roll out of bed and you're at work. You're not traveling an hour away. Um, you're, not you're not commuting. You know, you can just get right to your desktop and jump on a call right away and start working if you need to. Yeah, I think people always think that, you know, working from home is the dream, but... Uh, like, there's so many conveniences that come with it. Like you said, like, you just wake up right right away, roll over, you're in the office. But, like, at, at what cost? Like, at what cost does that convenience really come at? And I think that, you know, for me, I've been working at home for, like, I think close to three years. Like, even in some of my other roles, uh, I just force my way to, to work from home anyways. But it takes, like, such a large adjustment to actually be able to work at home effectively when – you know, for me, I live in this small space, and I've designed this, designed this space because it's my home with all of these really comfortable places to sit and chill and relax and not do work. And then you tell me that I have to be at work, and so I'm on my laptop and I'm in, like, this one corner of my room. But anytime I, I'm bored or frustrated or anything with work, I can just pan around my room and see, like, all of these places where I would love to just, like, lie down and sleep and and pretty much do nothing <laughs> yeah. um so yeah it's so interesting like having like a place that you want to live and be super comfortable and then also a place that you need to to be productive in um it, it's it's an interesting challenge for sure yeah i mean it, absolutely i think uh the convenience of it really wears off really quickly um i'm seeing it from um you know like my wife who's never done this works a government job yeah. and she's like oh first first few days is amazing Fourth yeah. day, I need to go for a walk. I need to get the heck out of here. And yeah. <laughs> it really is that. You need a break from your environment a lot of times. And especially for someone living in like a condo unit or a loft who doesn't have rooms to get around. We were just talking about this earlier. Uh, it, <laughs> must, it must get frustrating, man, seeing the same stuff. Yeah, I, I, we were telling, I was telling you that, you know, we, we live in a small place and ours is a loft. And, you know, we, we wanted this place. We love this place. Uh, but there's no actual like enclosed rooms. 
So it's almost like we live in like one big room. And so there's, there's nowhere to go. And, and right now, uh, my partner, Shara, she's working from home as well. And so she's doing like a lot of calls. I'm doing a lot of calls. And like, we're just trying to stay on like different corners of this big room and do calls. Uh, so yeah, and the more interesting challenges. Yeah, definitely. Definitely, man. So, I mean, have you been talking to a lot of people about this? Like, uh, I'm sure you have friends uh, asking you or talking to you about, you know, about about the things you've experienced. Because uh, you were telling me earlier too, people like a lot of people who have a job that works from home or like can be a home-based business. They're always posting about like, yeah, all my friends were like, you're so lucky, you're working from home, all this. And now that everyone's forced to work from home, it's like, oh my god, how are you dealing with this? How do you deal with this all the time? And uh, they're now coming to as like a solution box for like all this like background, uh, I guess the the effects of like staying in the same area, same, same seeing the same scenery. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Else. Yeah, and I even I wrote a LinkedIn post like casually about like, hey, this is what working from home is like, and some things that that uh, I thought were of value. And you know what? Like so many people like that, and it's been shared a lot of times. Um, and so I, I guess that I think everyone is really having a challenge right now about how do I work effectively from home um, and just getting into the mental state. Plus, it's not just like everyone's working from home out of choice. Everyone's kind of forced to work from home. And that's like a different kind of relationship with working from home because now it's like you kind of want to go out and you think about all the things you wish you could do. Like people can't even really go outside in the same way. You can't just like go to your coffee shop like this. You have to like think about the implications of every single act we do. And it's like mm -hmm. really like a weird prison we're living in. Um, but coming back to the working from home, you know, uh, just to re reiterate some of those points I made um, in, in that post, you know, there's a lot of things you have to do to kind of psych and, get, and trick your mind into getting into the right mode so that when you do work from home, you can be super effective. Um, and the first thing I put on that list was like, get dressed. And, and this is a conversation I had with uh, some of my friends who also uh, live this work at home lifestyle, where it's like, if you get too much into, into uh, like taking advantage of how comfortable this, this lifestyle is, you will drop your productivity um, and you'll notice. And if you're noticing it soon, the people who match you and stuff will notice as well. So one of my things is like, you know, you have to put pants on, even though like you're at home and you're in your comfort zone, you have to put your pants on, you have to get dressed, you know, as if you're going to go meet, meet a friend somewhere, that's how you should be dressing, like dress up a bit in a way that, you know, like I'm going to meet someone, I don't want to like look like a slob, um, I, I want to get, leave a good first impression, that's the sort of mode you have to get on. And I think that getting dressed is the first step to like getting your mind in, in the right place to be able to work effectively from home because you're basically saying I'm going to do a job now like I'm going to do something I'm not yeah. just kind of wandering around my living room and I'm going to just like respond to things when I can respond to things like no you still got to like be there and you still have to be be on top of your stuff because from the people who are tracking your progress like your managers at work and stuff like that when you don't get that face-to-face -face time with them no one actually knows how much work you're doing and so you have to be over communicating you have to be over producing you have to be able to really validate like this person who them is just a name on slack and uh, an icon or a profile image on slack like what are they really bringing to the table and that's why it's for those people who are just remote workers like myself we have to overperform. we have to bring numbers on we have to we have to really show our value a little bit more than someone who's coming into the office
Yeah, no, absolutely. I think, uh, and that's one advice I really took from you is uh, to dress up when you're doing work, right? To just yeah. go, put on put on your clothes, put on pants on, get a, you know, act like you're going into the office. And it does have a yeah. mentality difference, right? Just even like getting up and, and just like preparing yourself as if you're in work mode kind of gives, gives a mental shift to get you into yeah. that productivity or that mindset. That's exactly, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And like, so people were talking about this too earlier about productivity hacks, right? Like even within your home or work environment, it's like find one place to do work, one place to relax in, because that mentally triggers you almost like a trigger point to get in that mind state of doing work. Yeah, yeah. For people that can like afford it, that like like have the space to afford to be yeah. able to do this, you should be carving out a place where you do work. Um, yeah. And I know that for people, so I have a friend, Ankar, who uh in the way that his his unit is set up like he just puts a desk right in the hallway where like he doesn't get to see that amazing view that that his condo has like he doesn't he's so t taken away from his actual home even though it's just in the hallway of his home that that's a place he can be super productive super focused on work um and so yeah for the people that can actually afford to have a, a separate space you need to be able to do that like i have this little desk i'll show you what it looks like actually that's my little desk. I keep greenery everywhere. So yeah, this little pan of, of some of my some of my plants. This is my nice big window, and then like that right there. That's my workspace. Like I don't ever sit down there for fun. When, yeah. when I sit down there, like it's a, it's a hard chair too. It's not even a super comfortable yeah. chair. It's like it, it it's the chair that I sit on when I need to get shit done. Um, nice. And I only do work there. That's that's not a fun. Like it's not like a. It's still a fun place because I enjoy what I do, but it's not like a recreational place where anything except for work gets done yeah i mean that's yeah, that's yeah. great yeah yeah that's definitely probably probably helps you out a lot um can you talk a little bit about what kind of work you do that uh, is uh allows you to work from yeah. home work remotely yeah absolutely so uh i work uh, as a solution consultant at zendesk right now so what that means is that i i help illustrate value in products that zendesk sells uh we build solutions for customer experiences uh, so companies that want to be able to um, handle their customers uh, and their customers' queries where they might buy a particular product, they might need help with that product, um, those things which would be like inquiries or tickets would be routed to an, to an application like Zendesk. Um, and, and everyone has probably used Zendesk as a customer before. Um, some of our big clients are, are companies like, like Uber and Shopify and stuff where if you ever lost your wallet, on Uber and then you have to like go back through their interface and say, Hey, I lost my wallet and get connected with someone who can help that all goes to the Zendesk platform. So that's the solution I sell today. Um, but as solution consultant, uh, the bulk of my work is kind of doing product demonstrations, and that's why it actually helps to work from home because I need a space where there's not going to be background noise, um, that's enclosed, I need multiple monitors. Um, and so, uh, it helps actually for a, a lot of solution consultants or sales engineers. You'll find that they spend a lot of time at home when they have to do uh, demos. There is another part of my role where we are meeting in person with customers. Um, so that certainly happens as well um, where I'd go on site. But that's not happening anymore because of uh, the current uh, scenario that we're living in. No, definitely. So just to clarify, Zendes doesn't do the client support, right? He's provide the tools, the, the technology? Yeah, yeah, we, pro we provide a platform that allows you to take your customer support agents and connect them with your customers. 
So gotcha. we'll take in their inquiries and we'll serve them, serve your agents or, or your support team with an interface to be able to handle all of that. Um, yeah, and it's all in the cloud subscription-based. Cool. Um, one last thing, I mean, like getting to before Zendesk, were you doing remote roles before that? Like, were you in the mindset of that? Yeah, I was. So before Zendesk, I was at uh, Thomson Reuters. Uh, I, I, I was part of a small Toronto startup that got acquired by Thomson Reuters, um, and it's all about um, legal, uh, financial analytics. So we helped law firms understand um, what they were spending their money on and how they can build efficiencies and optimizations into their spending, um, everything down to, you know, what sort of uh, what sort of uh, types of law should we practice in, which are most, the most profitable, um, how are we paying, uh, paying our lawyers and are there efficiencies there? We, we would bring all that data in and give them a way to, to see it, report on it, and then act on it. Yeah, yeah. So what about like uh, working as, as back to Zendesk, right? Like, I mean, probably there's a lot of people that are don't have remote roles who are now working remotely. Is that accurate to say? You know what? For a company like Zendesk, it's really interesting. You find that like uh, there are certain technologies that are built that the organization that builds them can actually build for this new sort of distributed workforce is what we're calling it, where yeah. something like Zendesk, because the services on the cloud um, and because most of our, our clients interactions are, are, are also done digitally. Our entire workforce right now is working from home across the world. Um, and we, we, we're set up really well to be able to do that. You know, we use tools like the Slacks uh, and, and the G Suite. So all of our, our tools are cloud-based tools that we use internally. We sell a cloud-based tool. So um, I think a lot of the business is still at full, full operations, even though everyone's working from home. Um, of course, there are those pieces of the business, like, you know, you have your marketing that was working on things like a conference. We had to cancel one of our conferences uh, in mm -hmm. Miami, but uh, we were able to react to that really well, actually, where uh, actually this week we're now digitizing the entire uh, conference, and it's going to be instead of, like, a multi-day Miami uh, conference that was in, per in person that would have been so much fun for all, for all of our customers. Uh, we're taking all of the, the juiciest content there, and we're going to put it into uh, a conference that happens this week. Um, and our conference was originally originally called Relate, and now we're calling it Relater. <laughs> so, are you, yeah. Sorry, are you guys moving it virtual now? It's all conference? virtual, yeah. Yep. Cool. And yeah, and what about what about on your side? Like, you've had to make some some big changes, moving into kind of this new place because you used to do a lot of events as well right which you can't do oh, anymore yeah that was the entire business model like so i mean we help a comp uh, startups with sales um generally we pick like a few one two companies and just go go full in on doing sales directly for them either uh, for some kind of commission rate or um, an equity piece in the company and we help them build up and uh, when i first started the business like i was shocked at how many companies were like yeah please help with the sales were, it was overwhelming the, the amount of demand for this. So I'm like, whoa, how can we scale this? All right? And the reason the podcast started was like, hey, cool, we can bring people in and have long-form discussions of what they're doing. That's kind of like a sales mechanism, right? Because people want to connect, be connected with the brands that they interact with, the, found, the faces behind it. And it was really, uh, and it was, it was like a trial and error thing. And our fourth episode, uh, I think our fourth or sixth episode, I think sixth, Michael Cronin, uh, from Acquire came back and told us, hey, you know, we closed a million-dollar client 
on the podcast because they were looking for a solution like ours. They saw the pod, they saw, they saw our long form content really connected with my story and reached out to us and they were able to close that. And we're like, Whoa, that was, that was a mind blowing moment. That was, that was really a change. So we're like, let's, let's expand on this. Right. So we yeah. up the set, we up the frequencies are doing five of them, uh, five episodes. We film five episodes uh, every, uh, every Sunday, uh, every three weeks. Right. And um, we started, we did about 50 episodes over the year, just filming high quality content, uh, you know, 4k uh, cameras, a, a high quality audio, the great set and it's all gone. Right. Like literally uh, yeah. last Sunday was supposed to be our 55th episode, like, you know, 51, two, three, four, five, we had a great lineup of amazing yeah. guests. And we sent an email on Friday um, asking people, it's like, Hey, um, you know, due to the COVID-19 concerns, have any been traveling, experiencing flu-like symptoms? We want to make sure that everyone is in a safe environment. What's going on? And out of the five, three came back to us. One of them, their wife was feeling flu-like, had flu-like symptoms. Second one had flu-like symptoms. Third one, right, was like, I just came back from Spain. I should technically be self-quarantined. Yeah. We're like, okay, well, we, can't, we can't justify running this anymore. It's, not, it's safety issue for the guests coming in, for, for our team well. coming in. Yeah. So we had to cancel and that was a weird moment because we've been doing like consistent, like every three weeks for like, a year and we had to cancel. And yeah, then I mean, that... I remember, you, you guys put out so much content. Like, I think, you know, for anyone who's ever tried to even build something as simple as like a blog, right? Like you get so excited, you, you do your f first blog post, you're like, oh, I'm, start I'm starting something real here. You send it out to all your friends, like, oh, that's fake, blog post, blah, blah, blah. And then like two weeks later, you've never made another post again. Because uh, with any of these initiatives, the content is really the hardest part to, to create. And yep. if you look at any of the people who've been super successful in this or where you find actual value, it's just consistent content. Like force yeah. yourself to make content, make it valuable, and keep pushing it. Um, and you guys did that, and you guys were doing that. And, yeah, you guys have had to completely shut down as a result. Well, in that way, but, like, what's your pivot now? Yeah, so, I mean, that was a really weird moment for everybody. Um, but then the, what is it? The pandemic was called, right? Like the, yeah. what is it, the, the, I think uh, world health organization called it a pandemic. The government started shutting things down and we're like, Oh my God, things that are spiraling. And the Monday day one of, um, the pandemic being called out. Uh, I'm just like, what do we do? So luckily the Friday before I was on our Instagram live, my first Instagram live shout out to Mitt from, um, from Galleon CPA. Uh, they did, a, they did like a, he did like a, um, what asked me anything, right. About financial and tax advice. Right. Yeah. And, uh, and I just joined in and I'm like, this is a great platform. So on Monday we're like, I'm like, screw it. Called up Matt's from paper planes group. And we just had a chat, like, you know, cause he was still doing showings, uh, on real estate and talking to clients. I'm like, yo, how are you dealing with this? And then from there we sort of, you know, it, it became a great, it, it was a great uh, flow of conversation. People joined in. Um, so I started doing calls to people and like, hey, do you want to come on this on live and just talk about what you're dealing with? Because everyone I'm talking to is dealing with the same stuff. You know, all their plans are gone for the next three months. We, our podcast is gone. Our, sta our, our startup stand-up is gone. Our events, right, we have every month is gone. All their physical uh, interactions, all their meetings, everything's canceled. And everyone we talked to, I talked to about, about two dozen companies in the first four days of the pandemic. And, um, and they're all like worried but at the same time, they're like, they're all founders, right? They're all entrepreneurs. Like, what, what's happening? What, what can we pivot to? You know, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. How, how can I help right now? Yeah. What, 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 what can we do? 
you know, like, you know, and uh, I mean, and I love entrepreneurs for this because while everyone else is in shock, major businesses are in shock waiting around, entrepreneurs are already buzzing. They're on message yeah. boards, they're calling each other, they're accepting every call. Like I'm getting, I'm getting accepted calls for people like from investors to professionals to uh, founders themselves who would never take my call before because they're busy. Time freed up and I'm just talking yeah. to everybody and everyone's communicating and, and it, like the internet's at a buzz with information right now with people connecting. So we started doing more of these. So the pivot now is to do push out content. We're getting prepared to do two, uh, th sorry, three to four live streams a day moving forward just to catalog, you know, the struggle, right? What are companies doing? What are people pivoting? What are they dealing with? What is a collective action plan that we can kind of put together? Yeah. And I think people are really resonating with that because, man, we're, this is a time for collective action. I don't think, uh, I mean, a lot of people are waiting around saying that, you know, the top down, uh, waiting for top down information from governments, from larger bureaucracies, but they're very slow to, to react to these things. And you know, uh, yeah, that's such an, that's such an interesting point. Like we, we all look, you know, at, at, as like citizens, as taxpayers, as employees to um, our leadership for governance on how to handle this situation. But this situation is not only brand new to us. It's brand new to them as well. So it's like, we actually have to kind of self, mobilize and figure out how are we going to each within our own lives handle this situation and then uh, what i love right now is like you mentioned in the, in the entrepreneurial space what you see in, in the startup world which which is you know I, i'm a big startup tech person you know that just like you are as yeah. well it's like the way that tech is reacting to this where you know linkedin posts about like hey here's here's a list of people who have lost their jobs if you know someone or you're, that's hiring mm -hmm. or you know someone who should be on this list, throw it on here. Just these really simple solutions to like, hey, let's like come together as a community here and let's help each other out in, in these moments. I, I think it's super beautiful. And then you have like, you have these small companies, like there's a small brewery down the street and we have like, uh, like globally, there is a, a hand sanitizer, like crisis with face masks, all the common stuff that that's being used everywhere and so this brewery is coming together I, I forget what their name is I'll, I'll post it later but they're coming together to actually create hand sanitizer and it's just down the street and it's just like what we're finding is like the solutions aren't coming from the top the solutions are coming from like these small people these small individuals that have great ideas that have resources that are just saying like hey this isn't a business thing this is just a life thing this is a huge human existential crisis that, that we all face. So how is everyone going to come together and, and pitch these solutions for these small use cases? Um, and again, it, it goes back to, it, it's so reassuring for me because I've always loved the, the tech space and startup space. And there's a lot of bad things that start to come up with, with these big companies that are growing a, a lot where you see issues with like employment conditions and like really sketchy stuff that happens when, when something grows too big. But coming back to like these real life scenarios where you have people in the startup space and the tech space helping out, I, I think it's super beautiful. Yeah, no, absolutely. And uh, I mean, talking about the, to a lot of entrepreneurs and the entre entrepreneurship community, startup community is really binding around this, right? Like if you're yeah. looking at like Reddit bo uh, message boards right now, everyone's talking about how can we help? How can we co contribute? And it's crazy. I'm talking to a lot of investors too. And uh, they're like, you know, like investors, angel networks, mentors, uh, consultants. And they're like, you know what? Like we have capital, but we, we can't justify putting it out there. But I have time to give. So as consultants who do like $20,000 in consulting work, they're giving away doing it for free. 
there are entrepreneurs who are like you know like freelancers freelancers software engineers would build out things for like you know $100 an hour are just yeah. looking to, to contribute together i mean there is a initiative right now going on people are putting up plans for like hey if you want to take like any space any abandoned space a commercial unit that's being underutilized industrial space whatever it is this is how you can build a vertical farm in your community right this is the equipment you need this is how much it will cost right and all this and now and then people are building that then there's another silo of, of of people coming together like hey how can you build systems to distribute that you know to distribute supplies to, to supply chain management virtually you know like make it a distributed system so i mean people have been talking about community gardens and community kind of sourcing of uh, of food and other resources for a long time now suddenly the spark is there the energy is there right the resources yeah, there that's totally right right like we have to change our global supply chain for these these very key things like what what this whole thing unpacked is kind of like the fragility of our entire system like we depend so much on the supply chain and and supply chain is like this thing that everyone probably takes for granted like you go to the store you pick up a banana or something and like you don't actually care about like or or maybe you don't think about like how did this banana actually get here and to be in my hand and you realize that there are so many things at play where something that happens on the other side of the world can change your ability to get a banana or your ability to get a a roll a roll of toilet tissue it's it's absolutely ridiculous so we need to start to localize some of our supply chain where um we will never worry about getting certain issues and certain items um and certain things like we depend so much on china um for mm-hmm. all of our electronics so much of our food so many so much of the things that go into our food that again we just don't think or know about um where having having a slowdown there has like this this crazy domino effect that that affects us as well um and it affects yeah. everyone you know i was in sri lanka uh a few weeks ago and one of the things that i did was i went camping in like the in hell country mm-hmm. so just it was like this couple is like a german and sri lankan couple they set up this thing and the whole point of this thing like you go to this thing to be super isolated from everything and when we're there this is like when the news about the pandemic is coming china's shutting down things of that nature and you know they built this thing to be super isolated and so they themselves don't necessarily really know what's going on at the world like they don't mm-hmm. know that there are these things happening out there there's this disease going around that supply chains are being cut off that china's shutting down completely completely and so in that way they're kind of unaffected but part of their their little thing that they've built is they need tents and their tents mm-hmm. come from china and they're wondering like hey why can't i buy tents anymore mm-hmm. so they don't actually happen but they're affected like it has such far reaching effects to every single business in so many places so the unfortunate thing is you know we haven't actually seen the full impact of it you know our numbers in canada are growing um we haven't seen what the job loss are yet i think we haven't seen what the impact to to q1 numbers across all the businesses are like across north america so i'd expect you know april comes along we start to get our q1 reports on things like job losses uh company performance and uh, i think that's going to be a big hit to our already uh weird economy right now that's trying to figure out you know where's the bottom of this or, or where's the relief coming from um i think um we're still in for a lot more like we're talking right now just in the middle of it just like you you talked uh to mm-hmm. Matt like at the beginning before while he could still do things like 
have open houses and, and stuff like that. Like he can't have it. Like if you were to talk to him just now, which is maybe two weeks later or a week later, his story is going to be completely different. And, yep. you know, a week from today, you know, working from home could be a completely different thing because, you know, we could be facing on top of this idea of working from home, we could be facing this, this, this really ridiculous world where, you know, 500,000 people or more have now claimed unemployment have, what is the impact to that? What yeah. happens to, to all the things that rely on people needing money and, and feeding the economy from the bottom up? I mean, we still have so much to see. Um, but I, like we're talking, I still have hope that, you know, our community will be able to come through and, and build solutions uh, for this. Yeah, I mean, one of the things I'm hoping for is a, is a universal basic income. Like, America's talking about... UBI. Stuff. Yeah, baby. UBI, yeah. man. Yeah, it's, it's, it, this is... This is the time where it's gonna sh it's gonna shine. Things like that. The, the the flip side of it is is what's happening now a one time occurrence? Because if it is, then implementing something like UBI does that make sense? But this might be the new normal. We might have waves of diseases come every one, two, three years, on and off. And there might be other reasons outside of just diseases. We just have natural disasters. We have all these other things like. Uh, weird holes in our economy and gaps in our knowledge that could start to really enforce the need for things like like UBI. So it's a great time now to to implement something, and it, it would help us rush to to get something built in place. Uh, I think there was a trial that was run in, in Ontario for for UBI, right? I, I don't yeah. know what happened with that. We got crushed by the Ford government. <laughs> yeah. So nice. they're doing a pilot. Um, the which the liberal government, I was following this pretty closely because it was like so interesting. This is before I knew what UBI was. And I'm like, what do you mean they're giving away $1,000 to select households? So the, yeah. the test was mostly in Hamilton and like a few other uh, smaller towns. And they're selecting like 20,000 people. And they're giving away $1,000 a month. And I'm like, what is this? Right? This is before Andrew Yang popularized UBI with the nationalized uh, campaign in, in America. And um, we did, Ford government came in. They're like, yeah, no, this program's ended. And it was crazy because in the world, globally, I mean, uh, uh, this is like two or three years ago, right? Uh, like, uh, what's it, Germany was uh, field testing this, European countries, South American countries. A lot of places were field yeah. testing in small amounts just to see what the economic benefits were and to test out, you know, what happens to inflation, that kind of stuff. And the, the vote is never in, but this could be the field test, right? Because there is the government, the bureaucracy is not set to be able to fully utilize and figure out, you know, how do we take parts of our population and segment them and give resources to this part, this people, this much, this people, this much, right? If you're unemployed, if you're self-employed, you know, if you're sick, right? Like, rather than that, like the the ease of using UBI is that just give give one set amount to everybody, let the market figure yeah. it out, and that's really interesting, right? It's a really interesting. So even if it's temporary. I think we can get some hard economical data because this has been, UBI has been a, a topic for a long time. A long time, right? Totally, totally, yeah. I've been reading about it for probably like three or four years. I think the idea probably pre-exists that. Uh, and then Andrew Yang definitely popularized it in, in the state. Bernie, I think, is a big uh, a proponent of it as well. Um, so... Yeah, I'd be interested to see. This would be a good time. I, I mean, yeah, when it's like we need to also differ it from basically EI, right? Like UBI can't be the same as just giving someone a welfare check. 
um, there needs to be a distinction between what's what's a salary that everyone gets and then what does someone does someone get something extra if they get a basic income do they also get welfare for not having a job or what's that the assistance they get there um, but this will be a great time to find out and answer a lot of those questions that surround it sorry can you hear me Yeah, sorry, I just got a call because it's kind of disconnected. Yeah, I mean, one of the interesting things about that, UBI is actually, the idea of UBI is actually a few hundred years old, if I remember correctly, and a lot of thought leaders that came around it, and wow. people have been thinking it's it's been like a liberal idea of like uh, more of a socialist kind of kind of a system um, meant to be like a, a part of a welfare state, but it actually came from the fathers of, of uh, whoa, where do you guys feel UBI generated? we generated? That's a good question. Right. Um, this, this has been one of the biggest questions about UBI, but where the money originate from. But it was actually the fathers and the proponents of capitalism who came up with the idea of UBI, where UBI being like everyone when you're when you're your set income is zero for everybody. You have to commit work in the economy to get an income level coming in. The whole point of UBI was what if we don't? What if your what if your set was not zero, but regardless of what you did, you know you have an X amount of income coming in per month. And whatever you did on top of that it was to increase your income. So it kind of puts people in the mindset of income's coming in, how can I multiply this versus I can't operate, I at least have something coming in. But that's when one of the biggest questions, the proponents, like where is UBI dollars coming in? And there's been a lot of ideas about that, right? So previous, before the income tax was implemented back in the 1920s, before income tax, right, people thought about, yeah, there was no such thing as income tax, I think, before World War I. And everything was, run, the government is run on um, tariffs, right? Tariffs between states, tariffs between provinces, tariffs between other countries, tariffs on goods in general, right? So tar tariffs were utilized to run government policies. But even Andrew Yang came up with the idea of like, the idea of taxing machines, right? Um, having a, a, what is it, what do you call it? A value-added tax, a VAT tax, kind of like what they have in Europe. through e-commerce, through any kind of platforms. Uh-oh, I think we lost them. But uh, anytime any kind of goods or service will be exchanged, it could be a small tax from that could be utilized. Hold on, let me get this guy back. Damn, that Wi-Fi, yeah? Yeah, Wi-Fi cut out. Sorry, buddy. Yeah, no problem. So we're, I always kept talking after it kind of cut about a value-added tax. <laughs> because I couldn't hear you. I saw your mouth moving. I was like, wow, he's probably dropping like, all these things I should know for the next time I talk about this. But Yeah. Um, Henry, what up, bro? But um, yeah, so the idea of where the money would come from, it just really comes from the economy itself. About what you're taxing and how you're taxing it. Yeah. Um, people are worried about, you know, anytime you tax tax the private sector, it's going to slow down growth, it's going to slow down this and that. But you know, end of the day, um, I mean, we have, we right now tax the population. People are seen as like, almost like as tax objects, right? Where, you know, cows, people, what's cows. that? Cows. I always say like, yo, every country operates a human farm. Mm -hmm. We are the cows and I guess our taxes are the milk. Yeah. Tax farms. That's what we, that's what a country is. It's a tax farm, right? The government's kind of like an external entity and the citizens part of it are being taxed. And, you know, we don't, I mean, look at the, look at the ways we get taxed, right? Like, yeah, there's property tax, there's income tax, which is insane, 
right? Parts of your labor is being taken away. You, we talk about the economy being slowed down. What about when 46% of your income can be taxed away, right? Yeah, because yeah. of what you do. And then there's property tax, there's, you know, taxes for running your vehicle, for gasoline taxes. Yeah, if you want to have fun, there's fun taxes all over. So yeah. We, I was talking about this with, with some of my friends. It's like, you know, we're, we're now in the, in the area of like stimulus packages. Like, what are we going to do to stimulate the economy? And there's always these big, you know, billion dollar numbers, you know, $80 billion, $100 billion. So America is going to do like trillion dollar amounts of, of, of stimulus. But like, who does that money go to? It goes to these companies that very often were, had poor governance to begin with, didn't have enough cash to, to hold them through a storm like this, where it's like, if I have two months of no income, I'm not going to get bailed out by the government. But an organization who can't handle two months of no business is now going to get bailed out. And it's not going to be the mom and pop shops that get bailed out. It's going to be like the in industries that, that get bailed out. It's unfortunate. So then my thing was like, well, what if we just stop taxing everyone? Okay. Don't give everyone personal tax, apply tax to people uh, as they purchase things and uh, on the income. And so then it, it led me down to figuring out how much tax is actually collected in personal taxes. And what do you think that number is per year? How much do you think? I, I, sorry, are you asking a, a question? Like a number? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah a number. Like, how much do you think? Like, what do you mean? Like in, in total, how much is income coming from personal, taxes? Personal, ta personal income tax for the year. How much, what do you think that number is? I don't know what the number is for Canada, but I know where it's, how it's distributed. I went in and researched yeah. that. But um, once you, once you go ahead and let me, tell me. I'm going to pull it up right now because I don't want to give you the wrong number, but it's like cool. around 100 bill. That's it? 100 billion? For the year. So, yep. I mean, so I looked at this, I had a similar question. I'm like, where, what does income tax pay for? Because I was listening to, some, listening to some podcasts and it's like, oh, everyone thinks that it's like, if you don't pay income tax, you're a criminal because, you know, who's going to pay for the roads? Well, property tax pays for that. Well, who's going to pay for schools? Property tax pays for that. <laughs> you know what I mean? And you start looking into what does income tax really pay for? The vast majority of income tax goes to pay the national debt. Right? I think 20, in Canada, 22% goes to pay the military, and a huge percentage goes into paying national debt. Who takes national debt? The government. So you tax the people to pay back the debt taken, uh, that's, that's kind of taken, uh, taken on by people in power. And it goes back now into, into the tax farming concept, right, of people being, ta uh, being uh, farmed for these taxable objects. And then you look into, like, the indirect taxes. And look at, like, uh, tickets, parking tickets, right, um, with speeding tickets, how is our police force being used as tax collectors? Because that's an unfair tax. I mean, this is something that's been talked about a while too, about how, like, if you're more affluent, uh, yeah, a $100 ticket, $80 ticket doesn't mean anything. But if you are already struggling and you get hit by an $80 ticket just for going, like, 15, 16 kilometers an hour, higher than what you're supposed to be doing, yes, it's a safety concern, yes, it's meant to be uh, taken away from you, but you can literally have your life taken away from you um, by police officers who are being enforced to fill the city coffers. And so many municipalities are so addicted and to um, this kind of tax collection. And it's not viewed, the number is not really known, right? Like, it's not like you personally have, okay, you know, income, like income tax, this percentage is going to go here. 
It's like it can happen anytime, anywhere. It's like disruptions to individuals that happen all the time, right? And and the second thing is the black hole of taxes. Where does it actually go? Like, could you imagine if like you can open up like a CRA portal and see, hey, this is how much you paid in taxes completely from income, property, all this, and this is how it is distributed. This is where our government has spent it. No, this is that. So what you just described—that's what people want and people need. I think. Yeah. Um, there's there's no transparency or there, there's like there's like this feeling like there is transparency but the truth is there's not enough transparency i am not confident about where my dollars go and what it yep. gets spent on i don't feel like i actually have good control over where it goes and where it gets spent on and what we do is we elect this we elect particular people as if those people represent all the places i want to put my money where really this system should be more like to kind of vote with our dollars and we can say here are the things that need money. And then we can say, okay, you know what? I'll put some of my dollars here, some of my dollars there, some of the dollars here. And then I would put my, my money into my income tax. I would automatically get distributed to these key key ideas. Of course, there'd be like a bucket of that would go to what we need to pay for as a country. But some of these optional things like different sorts of transit projects. You know, if we said, hey, we want transit, who's willing to pay for it? We probably have a lot of people that are willing to allocate their money towards a transit system. Um, if they knew that that's where the tax dollars were going to. But then also what that would force is if you want my tax dollars, then you also have to come through with a particular plan. And then it's not like people who are voting for this, like our representatives. Yeah. Now, I, now us as a society, we can all say, you know what? We want an extension from this station to that station. We're going to pay for it. So we're, by putting our money there, we're also voting for that to happen. So we can kind of cut some of the bureaucracy that happens of other people deciding where things should go, like these city planners where, you know, whenever you talk about Toronto, and I hate to bring this up, it's like transit, man. Transit. Mm. Transit. Like, fucking transit. Like, our public transit system is a joke compared to other cities our size. An absolute joke. And that's why... Do you know that Toronto is the fourth biggest city in North America? No, I didn't know that. I That's fucked it. up. Yeah. I think the GTA. But the fourth biggest the... city? So what is it like New York, Chicago, LA? Uh, LA. And then, no, I think it's like, uh, I think Mexico City is up there because North America, right? Oh, North America, yeah. But I think by size, actual size, not by population. So I think well, New York, size, like the size of it, yeah. New York, LA, I don't, I don't know what the third one is, but fourth is Toronto. But we're 18th in population, right? So we have a super sprawled out huge area with a very low population density in general. And so very low tax base to support this in a country that's already underpopulated as well. You know, we're like one-tenth yeah. of the population in America. So one, the city doesn't have the, the tax base, talking about tax farms, to manage itself and grow itself. But if it had that city, Chicago, thank you. I think number three is Chicago. Um, so... If we had the tax base to uh, to operate this, I think it'd be a different story. But I think if we can get federal and provincial support to get a proper transit system, not even transit, like infrastructure. Look at look at the highway system to get get around by car. We have worse worse gridlock than LA, and America talks about LA being the worst city to of, of transportation, right? And um, like imagine what could happen to our economy if we'd save that time. I think one of the biggest things we're learning right now about working from home with this crisis is that how much time is saved from transiting and commuting. 
Yeah, I'll give you the flip side of that. I'm someone who loves to drive. Like, I love to drive. And one's working from home. So it's the first time I can drive to Toronto and actually appreciate the city. Because usually I'll drive to Toronto to drop someone off or meet up with someone. And you're just stuck in traffic. You don't actually get a second to kind of, like, take it, take it in this beautiful city that we've actually built. It's just, you know, it's it's traffic, traffic, traffic. But now it's like there's no traffic. You can drive down the what used to be the busiest streets in Toronto, and there's no one. There's yeah, like five or six cars. It's amazing time to get driver. So you can actually, for a second, like take it in. And we're an amazing city. It's super beautiful. We actually have. I didn't even know we had good roads. I thought that every road was filled. I found roads that are actually really well paved that I didn't even know existed in the city, and it's a beautiful thing. And I think that might be one of the solutions to transit is reducing the times we even need to move from one place to the, to the other. And working from home is exactly that. Working from home is probably has the biggest impact on reducing traffic on our roads. But yeah. I mean, there's, there's other effects to that too. You know, people aren't coming to the city for work anymore because they're not driving into the city for work anymore. And there's also an impact on like small businesses that rely on everyone coming from the entire GTA to this one small area in Toronto to, to eat, right? So I don't really know how restaurants are going to be able to handle everyone working from home. But for me, as loves to drive. Like, I hope that, I hope it's the new norm. No, absolutely. And I mean, one of the things I would love to think about, I love thinking about actually and talking about. Like imagine if we take GTA, like Toronto, Brampton, Saga, the Halton regions, York region, Durham region, all these regions around, and we create like an ultra city, you know? Because look at the resources that can be applied to everybody. One of the main reasons we don't have proper infrastructure is that cities don't communicate to each other. They don't like working together on big scale projects, right? If they can bring, if you can bring them together into one super area, like parts of Asia are doing, and creating these, these huge areas of hyper dense population, yeah, I think. Totally I you, yeah, I guess you see that. That like Tokyo is probably a great example of that, right? Where you, I think I, Tokyo probably has like the entire population of Canada just within. Yep. Within Tokyo, and uh, Mexico does too. Mexico City. Built, yeah, they've kind of built their system like that. But again, like it, it all comes down to transit too. Like those those cities have like J Japan has one of the best public transit sy systems in the world, um, and, and those are their cities are so connected. And there's so many ways to move within city, from city to city. So it's like you never actually feel like you've left Tokyo, but you have specifically gone to all these different like boroughs and and, yep. and, and cities within the city. Yeah, absolutely. But like one of the most interesting things right now in the next few years, decade or two, I think it's like uh, Shenzhen, like Shenzhen and Beijing, two, yeah. two, two major cities already are coming together, like literally border to border. And they're already looking at merging together. Right. Oh, is that actually happening? So what, like the population sprawl has has spread out so much. So much that these two yeah, major yeah. cities, uh, these huge mega cities have already collapsed. And when, and they're not saying if, they're saying when. In the next like 20 to 30 years, they're gonna begin this, but it's gonna become an ultra city with a population of 136 million. 
That's ridiculous. That's One city. It's hard to even fathom those numbers, right? That's more than 70% of countries. Yeah. You know, what does that look like? Yeah, what does it even mean, right? They're, they're already planning for it because they have to because they see it growing like that, right? I mean, if these areas are doing it, they're building the blueprints. We can do it here. Yeah, I mean, but yeah. What I would like to see in Canada, like in the GTA area, is like just some new cities. Like I wish that we could just, you know, like we have like this Google project here to kind of like map out what a cool city in Toronto would be. Like, can they just build a brand new city like away from Toronto? Yeah, we have so much land in Canada. Like I was thinking about this too. Why are there not more cities further out? Where I've, they're thinking about like building those cities, like density first cities, instead of just like we don't need another Milton and we don't need another Saga. We need another Toronto, and we need another Toronto to be really far from this Toronto, but not yep. so far that it's Ottawa. We just need like you know somewhere near Barry or as the distance of Barry. We need another Toronto, and it shouldn't be built for cars. That's like the biggest problem is that these cities today are built for cars, whereas Toronto was built for like actually like at the time Toronto was built, it was more based on like horses and carriages so roads are smaller you can walk around there's a high walkability sport uh, but now every other city has been built built car first and then you lose what a city is and then you're basically not creating a city you're creating a suburb and so we need to build another city like a dense proper city where you could live somewhere and you can have a high quality of life without even needing to have a car and and that would be the starting the starting place for actually being able to build another Toronto. And I don't know why we haven't done it. We have an influx of like over a hundred thousand immigrants every year. We're stuffing them all into the same place. They all, all want to live to these places that we already have where it's like, why are we not just building another city from scratch w- instead of trying to like fit this new Or even growing an existing city, right? Like there's so many other places here that are understimulated. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Yeah. I, you don't even, yeah. I guess there's like so many smaller cities that I don't even know of outside of like the Markhams and the Mississaugas and stuff like that. Yeah. I mean, interesting thought, right? Like not even like, like one of the proponents, not the proponents, but the positives coming out of, uh, out of global warming, right? Where they're saying if global warming continues, Canada is going to look more like, the, like how the Southwest of um, America looks like where this, where like the, everything near the equator is going to be nearly unbearable to live in. And population is going to move away from the co- uh, from the equator upwards, right? And uh, where there's more land, so that would mean like a lot more of Canada would be more accessible and more um, more uh, I guess appealing to live in. So would we see an influx of people coming to Canada? I think. So. I don't know if that's how global warming hits Canada, and I I don't know if it makes it warmer. It might actually just make it colder. It might just, like, mean that there's floods and, like, all those nice new uh, condos on on Park Lawn that everyone goes to. I know some people that are in this chat right now that live there. Like, those all get flooded. Like, those would just go away. So, I mean, I think we're already seeing it because... It just turns into a nice tropical country. Absolutely. I think like it's going to be a lot more, there's more uh, the weather and climate will be more versatile and like more variable. So we hotter and colder and all that kind of stuff. But we're already seeing the ecology change. So part of like the boreal forest in Canada that exists in a, a certain plane of line, right? Where the, where the temperature is a certain line, it's being pushed upwards. We're seeing the decades, right? It's going upwards and like literally ecosystems are changing. And it's become more of a temperate, temperate uh, culture. I mean, a uh, temperate um, ecology. 
And so if you remember like that great sex ecology, right? Um, it's, yeah. being, it's being changed. So it's like different types of trees, different types of plants, different types of uh, animals are moving into these areas that have been historically for a long time, we have a timeline, been a different ecosystem, right? And as that changes, it, it kind of opens to the possibility that for human habitation, it changes as well. But it opens up the, also that we can live differently. Instead of having these huge concrete cities with all these roads paved away, but what if we can have underground ecosystems of transport where, where the roads would be would actually be green space, right? We're going to have hyper, you know, like imagine what, the, what cities would look like right now if the roads did not need to be there. You can step out, go to a bus terminal, go underground, and through like, you know, Elon Musk's boring tunnel, have like a hyperloop that takes you anywhere you need to go, right? Yeah, Whether it be... That. You know, within your city, or even between 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 with uh, between provinces, right? If you can do that, yeah. freedom from anything, yeah, that kind of changes Elon, everything. Do you think Elon Musk is from the future? I think he's a fucking alien, man. <laughs> Have you? Yeah, did you see thing, the board? Like, my friends, we always talk about this. It's like Elon Musk is coming through with these solutions that the world needs, and he's always like one step ahead of the, the curve. And it's like we didn't know what Tesla why we needed tesla when tesla came out like like he he didn't even pioneer evs but he popularized them yep. at a time where people really didn't need to do it but now we're seeing the value of it and like now it comes like the boring company and hyperloop and stuff like that like these forward-looking technologies where it's like no one wants to put a hyperloop in right now like it's a great idea but no one actually is cares to actually no but you know you know the first hyperloop that. and the same thing with like with like the boring company but like I bet 10 or 15 years down the road, we're going to be like, oh, shit, that's what he's talking about. That's why we need this, because we're literally going to die without it. Have you heard of the project, the, the first uh, real Hyperloop to be built between Toronto and Montreal? Is that, I know that we were a contender. Did we decide that that was going to happen? That was supposed that to happen, but like, there's no real backing behind it. Right? There's no real backing behind it, so it's, it's being contested. But like, that's the first proposed area for it. But... I mean, did you did you see the proposal for Hyperloop when it came out? Have you read the document? I no, I didn't read the document. No. So search it up, man. It blew my freaking mind. So, the, the just for anyone for anyone who doesn't know this, right? So when when uh, the, when Elon released this, he released a thirty-page report, highly detailed spec plan, engineered plan of how a Hyperloop system would work, and he did it in response to. Um, uh, a contested bid where people are an uproar about how how companies were bidding for a uh, rail system to exist between San Francisco and LA, right? It would shorten the a rail system would trans, uh, shorten transport, I think, between four hours down to like two hours or something like that, right? And they were saying it's going to cost four billion, six billion dollars. Companies were companies were like uh, putting on this, and people were like in an uproar. Where are we going to get the money for this? All that. So he released. On Twitter, he's like, I don't have time for this, but if anyone wants to pursue this, here's, here's a plan. And boom, a 30-page full-spec detailed report of how a vacuum tube system can transport you in 20 minutes for one-tenth the price that other companies were bidding on. And he's like, I don't have time to do this, but if you want to do it, do it. Right? Yeah, and okay. It is the most – that's when I became an Elon fan. I'm like, yo, I don't care – if you're flipping people off on Twitter, I don't care if you're saying all this dumb shit. That is the most like innovative gangster shit I've seen. You know, uh, entrepreneur kind of like the, the dream right there, right? It's yeah. to being able to say it's like 
everything, everything that uh, all the solutions right now kind of sucks. But here, <laughs> here's the plan if you want to pursue it. And uh, I think that, I think that yeah, we need well, more kind of thinkers. Elon like that. Musk is a G. Yeah, that was, Elon that was Musk a is definitely a G. Yeah, and um, I think the thing I love about him is that he does all these presentations where he presents his technology. And I don't know if you've ever seen him talk, whether it's an interview, a podcast, or a presentation. And like, he's not like the most polished speaker, mm -hmm. but you can tell the reason why he kind of stutters every now and then. It's because he's like just too smart to yeah. people. It's like light like constantly head. thinking like how do I how do I dumb this down for you? Like but he doesn't he doesn't have like an attitude about it. He's actually super sweet and just a great person. Yeah. I, I, I personally think like he's practically our, like he's practically the world's messiah. <laughs> he's practically like the new age messiah. He's basically like tech Jesus or something like that. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. You gotta you gotta appreciate people like that. I think i think like one of the main things about a messiah like that is it's not necessarily his direct um, contributions, but what he inspires, right? People can look at that and be like, holy shit, I can be a change maker too. I can have ideas and like operate on it, right? And if even if I can, I can find other people to do it. And part of all that with this crisis is that a lot of people are doing that, right? A lot of people are, for the first time, I was talking to a few people, right? No one's looking at the ROI behind projects. They're not looking at like, what's my return on investment? They're not even looking at revenue. They're like, what is the impact this project can have? They're measuring projects by impacts. A lot of projects being launched right now where like, how impactful is being in the environment right now? What can I do with the resources that we have? And people doing it. Yeah, I hear you. And that's a, that's a whole new world that we're living in. And it's kind of beautiful. Yeah, absolutely. Sorry. Yeah, sorry. But um, I'm going to actually got a hard stop now absolutely same man i think it's been great we planned for had to, to for what 30 minutes it's been an hour i told you man once the conversation flows like, like, yeah. yeah this has been great man josh thank you so much this has been great uh conversation um and yeah let's continue this man all right we'll keep yeah, talking about sure. things we'll keep pulling things up the rest of your, your episodes keep Perfect. up keep up all, the, all this work man it's great connecting people and and giving people a place to find up in these trying times right yep that's a hope man thank you man take care bro peace bye, bye.